Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast, episode 123, where your hosts, Daniel Foch and Nick Hill, are joined by one of the greats in Canadian real estate who I'm looking forward to having a conversation with. What's going on, Nick? Dun, 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 dun. What, what is that? What sound is that? <laughs> that's, that's, that's Law & Order SVU, and I thought it was, was fitting because... Anthony, the gentleman that uh, we had the absolute pleasure of interviewing today, is a forensic accountant. I so, thought uh, there's at the, it was like at the end of the episode where it says law and order and like there's the flashing dun, red dun, and blue dun, lights. Dun, no, and it's dun, like, dun, dun, dun. yeah, you know, like just that little guitar song. <laughs> no, I think we're thinking different songs right now. <laughs> anyway, so, sorry, Anthony. We'll we'll get back to being serious here. Anthony, um, Anthony does have a great sense of humor. Great guy. Uh, when he tuned in. Uh, unfortunately, we had to do it over Zoom. We usually like to do the interviews in person, but just based off timing, a couple of busy guys trying to get together, we had to do it over Zoom. And Dan, Anthony's background was probably one of the coolest backgrounds I've I've seen in all of my Zoom calls. Yeah, awesome guy. Uh, very well respected in the Canadian real estate space. Hosts um, a really, really cool event, which I'm actually very grateful to have the opportunity to be speaking at this year, which is, uh, this is their 11th annual Great Canadian Real Estate Conference. Um, the heading for it this year is caught between skyrocketing rates and the inflated cost of living. It's called The Squeeze. Ooh, wow. And it's on October 5th, 2023 from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the National Club in Toronto. Uh, we will put uh, a link to the event in the show notes. But, I mean, the the event aside, um, some of the research that, that his company does is used by most of the big financial institutions in, in to make decisions on what's going on in the Canadian real estate space, mortgage space, lending space, et cetera. So, yeah, I had a really great time with, uh, with this interview. As I said, his, his sense of humor is, is fantastic. His, his knowledge precedes it. He was surrounded by cherry millwork and rich mahogany. He had a, a globe. He showed us his office. He had a globe in there. Of course, every, everyone's got to have a globe in there, in their study. Um, surrounded by books. And you can tell that, that Anthony really, really knows what he's talking about. Uh, he founded it all the way back in, uh, founded Veritas, uh, which is a research firm that he owns, um, among many other businesses. He founded it back in 2000. And when we had the opportunity to sit down with him, we, we asked him a pretty cool question, Dan. And what was that question? Is it whether or not, or what's the bear case in the bull case? That's it. So we asked Anthony to be Switzerland and um, argue both sides of the bear case and the bull case for Canadian real estate. So without further ado, why don't we just get right into it? Let's do it. Okay, everybody. Welcome back. Dan, it's not just you and I today. We are joined by a very special guest, Anthony Anthony, I just asked you how to pronounce your last name, and I'm Italian, so I'm going to do it the very Italian way. Schilipotti. Is that good? Very good. Very good, Nicola. <laughs> Anthony, uh, why don't we start off by uh, by telling us a bit about yourself, a bit about the organization you're with and that you run, and a bit about the event that um, actually Dan is going to be one of the speakers at uh, that's, that I think, in, in the next few weeks. So start us off by by telling us a bit about yourself and your organization. Right. So thanks, uh, Nick. Really a pleasure to be here. Thanks, uh, Dan, for, for inviting me. 
So a background, my, I'm an accountant uh, trained. Um, I've done uh, work as a forensic accountant doing litigation, expert testimony. And uh, back, and I've taught at uh, York University, um, accounting, of course, and sort of stumbled into uh, what the business that we currently have today, uh, as I was teaching in, in the 90s um, uh, and using as examples companies that were cheating on their accounting, late law, loan, new court credit type examples. Uh, one of our students, uh, head of research at a brokerage firm, he said, hey, can you write about this stuff? Because nobody tells the truth in Bay Street and <laughs> no one use this four letter word that starts with S and that's not the one that ends in T, but the one that ends in L and that's sell. <laughs> and so we hit the ground running in 1999, writing about things like TLC, the laser center and Royal group and so on. Then we wrote about Nortel commented about their accounting and their governance, not generating cash, et cetera. And that really put us on the map. And we launched uh, what is today Veritas Investment Research is an independent equity research firm, which means that we don't do corporate finance. We don't do trading. All we do is we get paid for the research that we write by institutions and the largest uh, retail organized uh, IA platforms in Canada, including uh, Richardson and that uh, were exclusive to our BC Dominion Securities. And um, that started in uh, 2000, and we've been going ever since. Uh, today, we're an organization of about 30 employees. We run a asset management firm that uh, uses that research, um, where we run three portfolios. We have a training arm that uh, trains using our uh, independent research technique. And we also have a philanthropic arm where we're looking to make the um, charitable industry better by giving better information about charities. And uh, ultimately, look, it's all about, as our uh, name of our company is, it's all about telling the truth and uh, looking for facts first. So if that's as much becomes a strength, it can also become a weakness. And we'll talk about that as we uh, dig into the uh, details today. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, uh, you guys do incredible work, and and for guys like Dan and I that that you know love data, especially especially Dan, who's you know known for his his charts, we uh, we rely on 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 people such as yourself to to do that information. So you know, a sincere thank you from uh, from the Canadian population here for for doing what you guys do. Maybe a bit more. Uh, let's go a bit further back in in your personal life. How did you get involved in in something like this? And and then, you know, how did it, obviously the progression over the last 20 years, 20, 25 years, fairly tumultuous market, you guys have seen the highs and lows, but, but how did you, like, what's your background? How did you get, get involved in all of this? I'm really an entrepreneur. I, I've had my own business since uh, around nine, 10 years old when I started with a paper route and uh, I was um, interested in business. And though I went to university to, uh, with the goal of becoming an, a lawyer, I, I decided uh, sort of midway through that I actually liked accounting. And I liked it because I was running my business. Uh, I started out in the Shmata business, um, which you guys will understand. And so I was, you know, making T-shirts, jackets, hats for the university and for uh, for high schools and companies. And um, I, this stuff I was learning in accounting was actually helping my life. And um didn't do Love so well it. at the outset, did really well in all my business courses. And I said, you know what, let's give this a shot. I'm going to become an accountant. And um, 
that uh, that mushroomed into you know accounting taught me to learn more about business and then i was fascinated when i when i could do due diligence work and uh, which was which is the forensic work and then that gave me something special i could look at financial statements and they sang to me differently than the other people in the room you see you know a revenue line and i see a, a number that opens up a Pandora's box to what's actually going on in the company. And that skill is what we built. And when I, when I try to synthesize that for people, I say to them, ultimately, is we separate business um, innovation from accounting innovation. You know that story that says, what's two plus two? And, you know, the best accountant will answer anything you want it to be. That is the reality. <laughs> For all those listening on the, on this, and they say, you know, what do you mean, Anthony? And I say, well, when you file your taxes, the best accountant is the one that gets you the most money back. Well, just think about that on a multi-multi-billion dollar scale and think about that in a company. The best accounting department is the one that helps the company generate the highest level of earnings. And that's the point. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until we hit the point that we are right now where interest rates start to rise and now the game changes. And that is the single biggest, I think, change that's happened and it's affecting all markets. We're going to talk about real estate. But that's going to change the markets, not just today, but I think it's changed the markets for the foreseeable future. Because I don't think that uh, you know the per- per- conventional wisdom that market, the rates are going to come down quickly is, is going to prevail. But we'll see what happens. It's, it's really interesting. A great point. And I, my thought would be, I mean... I was born in 1991. Interest rates have literally been, I mean, that was basically the last peak of the housing market and the last peak of interest rates. Like rates have really been coming down, I guess, since the 80s. So we've been on a 30-year bull run in almost everything and almost exclusively predicated on rates coming down and uh, and asset prices being pumped up by uh, cheap credit. And now I think it, it seems like we're in a new rate regime, even if it's that we stay hover around the historically average rate or the neutral rate of three to four percent to keep us at net positive interest rates, right? Rather than yes. net negative interest rates against yes. inflation. Um, what are so I, I I see this as being a bearish thing, but a lot of people think of that there's a lot of bull factors in the Canadian economy. I know you do an entire conference on this, and we're going to talk a little bit about the conference. And I'm going to be actually um, presenting at the conference, and I think. Nick would like to be there as well to to kind of cover some of the stuff and talk about some of the the things that we're learning. Um, and we'll do, I guess, a bit of a a wrap up after or a debrief after on the show. From from where you stand um, and the presenters that you're interacting with on a regular basis, wh- where do you see the bull case and the bear case being for Canadian real estate? If you could summarize each of those, sure, I'll try my best. Uh, first, just quick background. The, the uh, housing conference, uh, this is going to be our 11th annual. We call it the squeeze. And we call it the squeeze <laughs> this year because um, we're caught between skyrocketing rates and the inflated cost of living. And like true to our philosophy uh, of investing and doing research, it's all about facts. So while I have nothing against economists that, that work at large institutions um, telling me what's happening um, in the real estate market as you're sitting on the 54th floor of the uh, First Canadian Place or uh, somewhere in Royal Bank Tower. 
it's not helping. Uh, you need to actually be sitting in a room, look in the eyes of the owner of some building and someone that wants to buy it to really understand what's going on. And that's why we have agents, we have brokers, we have people from CM, uh, you know, CMHC, we have someone from MPAC this year, we're going to have people that um, work in, um, we're going to have the CEO of, uh, of um, Allied Properties. Uh, we're going to have, this year, I'm most excited about the alternative lending uh, panel. Uh, we're not, we're going to have uh, someone from Romspen, and uh, we're going to have uh, Cameron Stevens, uh, CEO, uh, and we're going to have um, Atrium, uh, CEO. And I think, you know, that's where, there, you know, because that's kind of the underbelly. That's the gray market, and that's where deals that you know couldn't get done at banks were getting done, are getting done, and they're you know you're starting to see cracks, right? Because they're being gated, they're cutting distributions, um, so there's pressure, and yet the pr private markets are holding market values are holding up, whereas in public markets you're seeing asset uh, REITs prices are really come down. Let's get to your question, Dan. Uh, you asked, what's the bull case? What's the bear case? And as an analyst myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a forensic accountant, so I have a strength and a weakness all at the same time. Um, I've been more leaning on the side of bearishness for the greater part of the last decade to my detriment. Uh, the market's done nothing but go up. <laughs> but that's, you know, when people say, how can you be so, why are you always cautious? And that's because the numbers are telling me that things don't make sense. You're buying a house and the cash generated from the rent doesn't cover the cost, the cash flow that goes out to carry it. So the only reason why you're buying it is to sell it to somebody else for more. Well, back from the days of tulips, the South Sea bubble, we learned long ago that this doesn't work for a long time, except when interest rates are zero and or continuing to decline. Because then the value of all assets, crypto, cannabis, dot-com stocks, tech stocks, cash flow doesn't matter when interest rates are coming down because then the value of the asset goes up in value. Why? Because if, it, and this is how it all started. Think back, you mentioned the point, Dan, 1991. You're right, you go look at a chart. That's the last time that inflation was above 5%, except for just now. It's also the last time when central bank rates, they peaked at around, at that time, they were here in Canada, eight or seven, nine percent. And they've been basically coming straight down. There's been some blips, but generally straight down till they were 25 basis points uh, during the pandemic. And as a result of that, let's just go through, because real estate and, and on the residential side happens at the dinner table. So Mary and John are sitting down, they're looking at the situation, and it's now 1990 three, four, property values have come down, but the rates are high. And they're looking at that transaction and saying, okay, yeah, you know what? We can afford a $250,000 mortgage. That cost list for, for simplicity is $500. And um, so that's the most we can pay. We can pay 250,000. We can pay 300,000 because that's 250 for the mortgage, 20% or 240 for the mortgage, 300,000 most we can pay for a house. Great. Two years pass, and now it's 1995, and interest rates have come down. That same $500 payment 
now allows me to borrow 300,000. So that same house that was worth 300,000 in 1993 is now worth 360,000 because I can buy pay a mortgage of 300, put 20%, you know, from 360, take 20% off that. And I can now, I'm using rough, rough numbers, make the point that I can now, that same house is worth 360. Nothing changes, same house, same walls. In fact, what people forget about real estate is between 1995 and 1990, uh, 1993 and 1995, guess what happened? The plumbing got eroded, the electricity, the wall, the floors, the walls probably got wrecked a bit. The roof is getting older. It's actually depreciated in value. But all that's happened is because money is cheaper, I can afford to pay more. And you keep going at that all the way down. By the end of it, that same $500 of, of payment allows me to pay 700,000, get a $700,000 mortgage. Now, magically, that $700,000 mortgage buys me more property. And at any time since then, if I didn't take a $700,000 mortgage and I only took a $500,000 mortgage, I was stupid because five years after I kept on with that house, it actually went up in value. My, my mortgage payment, my principal had gone down because I paid it down. And magically, I actually owned more house. I could refinance and do something that Mikey did down the road. He bought another house for that and rented it out. Magic. And we were sitting in our table, stupid, trying to be conservative. And we actually haven't, haven't made as much money as Johnny. Johnny keeps going on a holiday. He's doing way better than we are. And that's how real estate happens. It happens at the dinner table, live, just like I talked about. It's they interesting. Don't, there's no spreadsheet coming out. No, yeah. What spreadsheets? People I, spreadsheets. I, think I use spreadsheets and that becomes a problem. <laughs> when when you compare it to the US as well, like um, because our our uh, primary residence is our capital gains exempt, I, I really think that we've created this culture where people just lever up and buy as much primary residence as they possibly can to squeeze into that uh, capital appreciation vehicle, right? Like we've talked about it a lot on the show. We just did an episode on buy versus rent. And it's like, if you're a decent investor, you it will always make more sense for you to rent. Um, but the conventional wisdom of being a decent investor is save your money, put it into a compounding asset over 25 years, that, that will be a good investment. And a house, it fulfills that job for most people. It forces them to save money because Canadians historically are not exceptionally good at saving money. And it forces them to put that money into an asset that appreciates in value or at least hedges against inflation. Um, and I think that's how we end up where we are with we have this obsession. Everybody, like I, I think, maybe not everybody, but most consumers uh, think about their house as an investment, as an asset. They they When they're buying a house, they're thinking about the investment value of it. And I feel like that's, I mean, it, our audience is people who want to invest in real estate. We're the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. It's, you know, it. I think it shows how much we're obsessed with the asset that we're we, we easily grew to one of the top five business podcasts in the country. But it also are the investors who listen to our show are competing with those homeowners nine times out of ten. Right? Those are the people, in my perspective, who are really inflating the market, the, the end users, the consumers, and and now they just got blown out by rates. And yep. and and caps cap rates haven't historically, um, or cap, cap rates haven't got back to historically where they should be, which is typically they're in a in a channel like three to five hundred basis points above the Canada ten year bond yield, and they're not even close to that yet, right? And that's the only reason why they're not there is because people can't afford it. 
Yeah. And um, because people in, uh, you know, I, I think there's a time uh, of change and, you know, we're humans and um, a lot of investing in, in is about psychology as much as it is about spreadsheets. And when you look at what I think is going on in today's market, um, people are basically in denial. And then that doesn't just extend at the you know individual level, but even in institutions and, and sophisticated uh, investors and, and purchasers, let's just go end users even, uh, because we've had a period of you know nearly thirty years of interest rate declines, where betting against it or cons- believing that house prices would fall was a foolish type of sentiment, and so. Very few individuals have the muscle memory to think about what happens when you put the, a sign in front of your house and no one comes to the open house. When you don't get multiple bidders, you know, then you said you were born in 1991. The first property I bought was in 1991. So I lived it and I bought it. You know, I was in university and I, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a condo that was a conversion from a government building. These are the Ray days where they took government buildings, fired all the people and then turned that condo, that, that building into a condo. It's going to be happening again. Pardon me. It's going to be happening again. Magic. You wait, except it's not so easy. Um, But anyway, yes. And so that's the, the, I think people right now, you know, the, the, it, we're in a transition period. Um, and you asked, you know, what's the bull case? What's the bear case? So I, I guess we could, we could get into that. Um, you know, look, the, the bull case for, for, um, uh, the house, the real estate market. And it, you know, it's often when you, when you think of the bull case for anything, you're trying to predict the future. And bull cases are typically made on dreams. So it's things that we can't quite quantify. We have to, we have to expect something. So for example, immigration. Well, people are going to always want to come to Canada. They're going to flock here. And those individuals that come will buy houses at whatever the price and continue to do that. So far, that's been the case. But how many people have actually sat with a, immigrant and ask them, why do you do that? Why do you come to Canada? And why do you actually buy property? Well, they buy to come to Canada because there's great employment. There's a better life than I had back in my house, my where I was before. Oh, there is opportunity here. There's no opportunity where I was. There's a war. There's nothing. I have a t- terrible place to live. But if our economy gets soft and there's no jobs and there's no opportunity, why would people want to come to Canada? And if that happens, then that immigration case maybe doesn't work. Now, that's just both sides of the same argument that could be extremely bullish, people coming here. But people that are coming, just look at the 500,000. How many people have dug into this Okay, and actually looked at those individuals? How many of them actually come here with hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in their pocket? Many of them are just refugee status coming here to, to, to for a better life to find anything. And that's not they're not buying a 1500 buck a foot condo in the sky. They can't afford it. In fact, they can't even afford to rent. So they're living in rooming houses. They're living 15 people in a house, whatever the case, because they just can't make ends meet. Well, that's I don't know that that's necessarily a bullish 
for real yeah. estate. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, not a compelling value proposition for us to be offering to people. Like, and I think it, it, you can only do that for so long before the word gets out. Hey, don't, and you're starting to see this now, like people on TikTok sending news back home, everybody's saying, oh, and advising one another not to move here because it's, it's a scam, right? On the housing side. That's what they, you know, that's the sentiment that's beginning to, to build. So I, I, it is tough. And I think the 90s is a good, example of that because you saw immigration sustained during the recession, but um, non-permanent residents, which is a big portion of the population growth in Canada right now, greater than 50%, I believe, when you combine non-permanent residents and international students. Um, and that's what's pushing the rents up because non-permanent means that they're not, why would you buy a house? Switching costs makes it no makes no sense for you to do it. If you're going to buy a house, if you're non-permanent for one, two years, so if you're going to go rent and that should push up the net operating income and gradually push up the values of, of real estate. But it, but this is where we've, we've run into this problem that I don't know if that pull case can be sustained. I just don't know if we're always going to be compelling as a destination of immigration in a in a global downturn and in a an especially potentially worsened uh, domestic recession in Canada, Canada than than other places. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. I mean, uh, you know, the bull case for Canada has always been immigration, especially in the last few years, right? Well, we, you know, there's endless people coming here. Of course, we, you know, real estate they all need a place to live, but it's a sliding scale, right? The bull case can very quickly become the bear case if we find ourselves in this predicament where we've brought too many people in, we don't have the infrastructure or the jobs or the economy to support those people. Well, then what happens? Then we've got a bunch of angry people that have been here for a short period of time that are unemployed, homeless in certain cases. Um, so, I mean, it's a very interesting thing because, you know, again, the bull case, what what should be a major bull case for Canada can very easily be looked at as a big bear case. Now that's immigration. Let's let's move on to an, another one. Let's let's just talk housing and, and construction. Even you know just just the labor market around construction, right? So skilled trades, logistics, supply chain. Um, let's talk bull and bear for for the construction industry, the actual construction of building new homes, building condos. And Anthony, I'm sure you're aware because you're a forensic accountant. But you know the obviously the housing starts this year have been drastically down. We just did another episode on the fact that. 22% of home builders across the country have canceled projects. So things are not going in the right direction there, but I'd love to hear the bull and bear case from, from your side of things. Well, that's bullish in a way. Um, if there's fewer housing starts, yeah, that means that there's less supply. And if there's more demand than there is supply, that, you know, economics 101 says price should increase. And the question then becomes, you know, is there no supply? And CMHC, they're going to be the chief economist is going to be coming to speak at our at our conference uh, as well. We have uh, Rocco Rossi, who's the president and CEO of the Ontario Chamber of, Chamber of Commerce, and he has an interesting perspective. Uh, we'll be hearing from MPAC, uh, uh, the chief valuation uh, officer there, and um, they're each going to give some interesting perspective on this. But when you think about what's happened to the cost of construction. That rose due to supply chain constraints. Uh, getting lumber was a problem, getting other parts because we import much of this stuff. Um, not so much the lumber, but definitely all kinds of parts for, for construction. Anyway, um, what's happened is, uh, well, the labor cost has gone up dramatically. Uh, inflation, um, first prices rise, 
And then the lagging inflation, and this is what I think the people need to be cautious about, it has to do with um, with uh, employment costs and labor costs. And we've seen that escalate. You know, um, there's already more strikes. You saw that the pilots signed at, you know, rates that are 40, 50 percent higher than they were before. Uh, teachers are demanding uh, price uh, wage increases in the teens. Um, you have uh, that's going to put pressure on inflation, but that drives construction costs. And then we don't have enough uh, actual skilled labor. So one of the uh, big uh, things that bothers me about the whole immigration argument is those that are coming here, how many of them can actually use a hammer? If it was up to me and I was standing at the border, I would have a test. Okay. I, I've done some construction in my life. I would have a hammer and I'd have a nail and the nail would be three inch nail. And I, I would test how many strikes it takes you to put that nail in the, in the piece of wood, because I would be able to know how you, how much you know about construction by how many strikes it takes for you to put that nail in the piece of wood. My dad can do it probably in two or three strikes, probably take me about <laughs> 10. But do, do you actually bend the nail during those strikes or does it actually go, go down straight? All that is what we actually need in this country. And I'm not sure we need more people to go to the universities. So our universities are, bur are, are, are burgeoning. But what's happening, and I've gone and I do guest lectures at the universities, how many of these individuals are going to get a job? And we promise them that. We say, hey, if you come here and do your master's, you can you can get a permanent residency card that allows you to work here for at least two years while you uh, apply to become a, a citizen. Well, the challenge is if there's no job, many of these individuals that come here, they're scrambling. Their entire family has put their livelihood and mortgaged their life for these individuals to come here and study. And if they can't get a job, it actually works in reverse painfully. Um so I'm concerned that the that the cost of construction is go, is going up and going to stay up. Um, I'm hearing, you know, we speak to to the Ellis Dons of the world, and uh, what we're hearing is on their big construction infrastructure builds, they can't get enough electricians, they can't get enough drywallers. Um, I, you know, would encourage all those individuals, young here people on listening on the call or parents that have, you know, children of ages heading to thinking about what to do in their career to really think about about uh, the trades. It's not, you know, getting your hands dirty is not something to be sort of uh, shamed upon. It's actually a really legitimate, high paying job. Yeah, yeah, we, we mentioned we it. talk about that all the time. It's, it's we yeah, really it's, do. Yeah, yeah, thumbs up constantly. You're singing our song for sure, and it's something we encourage a lot of people. Like, especially if you want to make money in the real estate industry, um, be, you know, having those skills, and even if it's just having the knowledge to not overpay for, you know, to be to be ripped off by somebody who knows a lot more about construction than you, um, is it's just like it's a no-brainer from my perspective to to have experience at, at a minimum experience and it for young people especially just go go work on a job site growing up like i, I feel like every, our generation might have been the last generation that really did that right yeah. um like i grew up on, on construction sites running yeah. you know running tools around for people who were better at it than me and just watching them and and that's yeah. where i started my career too yeah and that's given me so much value as a real estate investor and i would agree with you i think that that's like in a, in a country that is still building, growing, and, and you, you see it in the U.S. as well. You know, people who are working in those industries are are doing exceptionally well. They're building businesses. They're you know they're and 
building equity and to creating value. And uh, it's just, I, I don't, I don't know how we got away from that. I think the Ontario government mentions it in their, um, their housing supply plan to, but the reality is provincial governments have no bearing on what happens with the federal immigration oh. strategy. So um, the only thing I think that they could do like, because this is the part that I found interesting. I recently learned that if an Ontario college accepts a student, then the federal government has to basically um, allow, give that person a um, study permit. Um, so maybe we should actually be pushing like, the, or the mechanics of that, if they really wanted to execute what they're describing is actually to push those programs through the colleges, really push those trades programs through the colleges so that now we're the international students that we're bringing in are being trained to, to, to do what's going to going to pay them the most and going to create the most, uh, value and, and, uh, exchange value in the economy. Um, it would be a, it would be a shame if we didn't, um, if we didn't chat a bit about inflation and interest rates and maybe, and maybe both sides of, of those two stories right there, Anthony. So, what what are your thoughts? Where where are we at with with inflation? You know, I guess we're, we're we'll we'll know you know in next month's uh, GDP release, but the chances of us officially being in a recession now are, are highly likely. What what's your take, bear bull, on on the inflation numbers that we're seeing, and on just interest rates in general? You know, I was just on CTV the other day talking about them and, and I was asked, you know, is it too early to start thinking about rates coming down? And I, I chuckled and said, yeah, it is. Um, but, you know, you know, more, far more about this than than the two of us. So job um, numbers just came out today, which is worth noting as well that they were and job numbers are up beat expectations here in yeah. Canada. Yeah. So mm. we're, we're in a sort of Goldilocks uh, time. Um, so jobs are very important. Um, and uh, I'm going to make a point uh, to talk about that. Um, and so I'll say this this way. The two strongest forces on earth, um, the first one is demographics. It's the only certainty that there is. The three of us on this uh, podcast and the, all those listening with every second that passes, we're all getting one second older. That's one with 100% certainty. And as we get one second older, many things start to happen. We'll need a new shirt. We'll need a new underwear. We'll need new pants. We'll decide that at a certain age, we probably need a car. Then that car gets older after a certain amount of time. And uh, we'll move from a one-bedroom condo to a two-bedroom to a potentially single-family home, et cetera, et cetera. All that can be roughly programmed within a number of years. And that drives many economic decisions from a macro scale based on demographics. When are you going to retire? When are you going to die? All that's factored into decisions that get made. Well, what's happening is there's a big baby boom generation, which is the largest, okay, that by 2030, they're going to be the last of the baby boomers hits retirement age. Whether they retire or not is a separate point because they're working longer. But that is a force that means that there's lots of opportunity for the next generations to get jobs. And so you know, actually being born now and or in the last 10 years is pretty good because by the time you're done university and or and or finished high school and ready to start thinking about your life, you're going to be in a world where that, you know, the, the bubble of the of population at the top and is like going to be the smaller generation underneath. So there's going to be opportunity for you. So that's bullish. I think that's great opportunity. But what that that also means is 
happening with demographics is their the previous generation would have you know my my parents had three children uh, I happen to have three children but I know many of my peers might have one or two they're deciding to have children today my children are are, are having children they're having them waiting much longer to have those children they're having fewer of them and so that also puts pressure on demand demand for goods services etc goes down because there's fewer people around to just buy them. Okay, this is why we need so much immigration because the demographics of developing societies are such that this this problem is occurring. The next strongest force that I remember I mentioned there's two is inflate is uh, interest rates because when the bank such as central bank sets the sets the rate, it determines the cost of capital, the risk free rate drives everything. You spoke earlier and you mentioned, you know, the premium to the risk-free rate. So while the central bank here in Canada lends money at five, if any of us try to go to the bank and get a loan, the best they'll give us is 7.2. So the bank is making that extra 220 basis points. That's a risk premium. Okay. If you are higher risk, then it's 2.2 plus more and so on up the, up the chain. So that is is uh, is really important to the discussion. What what's happening now? So those are two hard forces. What's happened to and what naturally happens? Inflation is a measure of year over year change in price. So last year we had inflation that peaked at around nine percent. So that means between two thousand one and two thousand two, a two thousand two price for the same good on average was nine percent. Let's call it ten percent higher. Nice and easy. So it was a buck. Then it went to a dollar ten. In order for it to increase another ten percent, now it has to go to a dollar twenty one. Okay. Well, there's only a certain amount of price change that the individual can bear because their wages don't move that much. And we're seeing that wages actually have been very have trended very steadily, growing at one or two percent, far even below inflation or as such. And so as, as a result of that, this year, inflation is coming down. And so that gives us the reprieve. And I think we're going to start to see, and we are have already seen inflation come down. But the challenge is, you know, inflation is driven by three key things. One, shelter costs, the other one, transportation, and the other one, food. And so that's 75% of consumption. Well, we've seen food price inflation start to come down, still high, but start to come down. Shelter costs, that's a problem because as interest rates rise, mortgage costs and rental costs are included in inflation. So that's circular. That's a problem. We've seen that the that gasoline prices have come down, but guess what? Because we're so fast about the climate change, companies have said, okay, you don't want me to invest that damage the ozone layer? No problem. We'll stop looking for oil. And now we go back to supply <laughs> and demand. And guess what happens? I search for less oil. I produce less oil. Guess what happens to the price of oil? It goes up. Magic. And so what are we experiencing right now? We have oil price sitting at about $87. Well, for those of those that want to look back last year, it was actually lower than that at this same time. So guess what? You remember I said inflation is the year over year change, year over year change. We're actually going to see inflation. So this current print that's going to happen now for this next period here, we're going to actually see that inflation starts to go back up. While in Q2, Oil prices were lower this year than last year. Since Q3 started in July, oil prices have been higher than they were last year. And so that puts pressure on inflation. So, and now you're going to see that other lagging effect, which is due to uh, labor costs. And we already talked about that, so I won't repeat it. 
but that's going to put pressure on on inflation. So what I think we need to get ready for as a as a more let's call it a realistic case, not a bull or bear case, is that interest rates stay at a more at a more normalized level, as you said, let's say three to four percent. But that means that mortgage rates in the five to six percent range is not unrealistic, and so. That means that, um, you know, it changes how much. Remember the dinner table discussion, that same $500 mortgage payment can buy you less house. And so maybe what what happens to all these five-bedroom homes when the next generation doesn't have four children? Like, is that become a rooming house? Does that get torn down and become a condo? Like, many of these things are already starting to happen. It's it, it. That's exactly the thesis that we have. Like you know, people say we have a housing shortage, but like on a per square foot basis, housing actually hasn't become uh, less affordable in in the Western world, in North America, in Canada, or the U.S. Our, we have houseflation. Houses are getting bigger. We have the third yeah. largest square footage per per capita in the world after Australia and the U.S. To me, I mean, it's a perfect, like, we're just way earlier in our demographic cycle, like you're describing, compared to places in Europe that, you know, in Europe, they were experiencing this uh, level of population growth from immigration 100 years ago, 200 years ago, because it was easy for people to migrate from, you know, the Middle East, Africa, wherever, into into Europe when, and now, but now we have airplanes. And so that's taking place in the new, new world. And, and the same impacts, you know, you look at Europe, house, house, uh, the, you know, leading economies that I would say Canada is trying to aim to be like your Switzerland, your Germany, whatever. They all have house uh, home ownership rates below fifty percent. That's where we're headed, I think. And I think you start seeing multi generational living, multi generational ownership, long uh, or assets get pa- passed down generation to generation. And our thesis is that you know if people want to want to have an opportunity to hedge against that, they need to buy real estate to to be part of the 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 role of multiplexing all of these McMansions as an example. Um, and I'll leave you with the last data point on it. And then maybe I think we'll make an effort to wrap up here. I have like a million more questions. I feel like I could listen to you talk for hours, but, uh, but we'll- hey, Anthony, you gotta, you gotta so come there. back. You're gonna have but, to come um, back. <laughs> US, US uh, household size just increased for the first time in 160 years, right? So I think yeah. that it's, a, it's an inevitability that that's the direction we're, we're heading in Canada. You start to see household consolidation. Well, and then even just to just to add to that, Dan, another fascinating data point that that blew my mind when I first heard it. But when you really start to think about it, it makes complete sense based off of what we were just talking about. There are over five million empty bedrooms just in the GTHA alone, and and millions more across the country. So you know what's happening with mom and dad's big five bedroom house and you know maybe one kid still lives at home. You know they use the kitchen, the living room, and their bedroom. The rest of the house sits empty. Um, it's a, it's a problem. Anthony, I got one more very, very quick, like you got a two minutes. How can investors succeed in the next 12 months in Canada? Put yourself in the shoes of a, of a young investor trying to buy their first property. What's your advice for someone in that situation? I, I think, you know, it's, we're going to, we're heading more into a buyer's market and, um, for, for many of the reasons we talked about. And that means that, uh, you need to hire, uh, and work with an agent who didn't just fly by night. Um, yeah, you might know the individual well, maybe he's a friend of the family, you went to high school with him or her. That's great. But if they don't, if they can't do a spreadsheet and they're unable to give you some perspective on what's going on in the neighborhood and, and uh, provide both micro and macro data to support that, they're not the agent you need in this kind of environment. You need someone that's going to negotiate hard and you need someone with a sharp pencil that can be supported by a spreadsheet. 
and you will find opportunities. Look, in the, the most money is made in the downturn. You make money when you buy things, okay? When you sell things, it's the admission that there is no more money to be made. So I love that. We want right now is a time while while I'm you know part of me says, geez, I'm nervous about what the next 12 months look like. The other side of me is like, I got a cash pool sitting beside me just waiting. And buying real estate will become like this because the what people forget about real estate is it's an illiquid market. What do I mean? Liquidity is like oxygen. When you don't have it, you don't realize how important it was. And so liquidity is the ability to access capital when you need it and money that I mean. And so when you put your house for sale and you need to put the house for sale because the mortgage payment just went up and it's up 30, 40, 50%. And by the end of this year, some 48% of mortgages um, that starting from 2022, the beginning of 2022, will have actually come up for renewal. Uh, by the end of next year, it'll be 63%. Like that's a lot of pressure where the price, the mortgage payment will change anywhere between 15 and 50%. And that's Bank of Canada numbers. And so if there's a for sale, you want to be able to go into a transaction and say, how much do you want? A million? No problem. I'll give you 700,000 tomorrow. And they'll sit and they won't be happy. But that is how you're going to make money. Lining up and having a party at a condo sale, buying a unit at 16, 1800 bucks a foot is not a good <laughs> investment. If they're giving you champagne and caviar when you're doing the transaction, it's not, it's messy, it's dirty, it needs renovation, nobody wants it. And a real entrepreneur, okay, is a creator. When people tell me, what are you, Anthony? I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a creator. You see a dilapidated home. I see a multiplex on its way to becoming a Starbucks. <laughs> and so that ability to see, to, to everyone sees something and you can see what it could be. Now is the time to look for those opportunities and make sure you have access to capital and a store of capital so that you can make that transaction when it's necessary. Bye. Absolutely love that. Uh, you know, just just on that note, Dan and I always joke the easiest way to sell a place is just go park a Lamborghini out front. Yeah, um, it's the good old realtor trick right there. I love the, the <laughs> and if pictures. You need of... to sell, I, the only other thing I'll say, and it's important, if you need to sell, if you don't need to sell, then don't worry. But if you need to sell, don't wait for everybody on the street to have the for sale sign. If there's the more you know, pretty girls there are at the party. <laughs> The less value, if there's, you just want fewer and the fewer things available, the nicer they look. That's, that's perfect. And it's a race for the exit. I mean, like, you know what, but it isn't a race right now. No, no, I agree. But, but like, that's the scenario. If, if people, you know, if people are, are waiting, like that's the fear, right? If, if other people are racing for the exit, then you got to start punching each other in the face to get out the door. Right. (laughs) And on that note, we're not going to punch each other in the face, but, uh, Anthony, thank you so much. As as Dan said, I mean, we could probably talk for hours here in an effort to uh, keep some conversation for next time. Why don't we cut it here? A sincere thank you from both of us for uh, your time, your knowledge, your wisdom. And uh, everyone go check out uh, Veritas, the conference. We'll Anthony, put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Yep. If people wanted to find you, where could uh, where could people find more about, out about you? Yeah, veritascorp.com. 
all the in- registrations there. Registration is open. We got a discount uh, registration till oct- till uh, September 18th. So let's make sure we get uh, get out there, sign up. Um, uh, this year is really, you know, look, it's been 11 years and I feel like each year I say it's going to be the best one. This one's going to be the best one because the dichotomy and the level of uncertainty is at, is at the maximum. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks so much, Anthony. All the best, guys. Great chat. Man, I know nothing compared to that guy. Same. This is why I make an effort to surround myself with uh, with people like that and uh, find my way, just crawl my way into their world. You don't say that. With, that's with a, charts. That's a good way to do it. Eh? Just surround yourself with, with great people. And uh, what's that old saying? You're the... You're the combination of five people you surround yourself with i think there's a nick hell original about something like net network net worth. net worth yeah yeah yeah. i did come up with that me alone by myself um yeah no uh anthony wow um so much light shed on so many hard to understand situations um as we said numerous times we can probably talk to that guy for hours which just means we're gonna have him back so actually if anyone listening has specific questions in the more forensic accounting department and then uh, let us know and we'll have anthony back on and uh we'll we'll ask him the tough questions and uh make sure you check out the veritas conference um some incredible speakers there uh chief economist of cmhc um anthony will be speaking i will be speaking I think Jordan Scringo has been on the show will be speaking michael emery who's the ceo of allied reit will be there um Scott Cameron from Cameron Stevens Mortgage Capital. Um, it's going to be a, be a great event. Uh, I yeah. learn something. I learn a lot of stuff every year. And you, if you're not in the Toronto area, which is where it's hosted, um, there is a streaming option as well that you can uh, you can attend it online. So anyway, check it out. Link will be in the show notes. Uh, Anthony, thank you very much for having us. And we are going to try and record some sound bites on on site. Um, Nick's going to be there in a journalistic capacity, I think. Yeah, Dan will be up on stage speaking, and I'll be uh, heckling from from the back, probably. Yeah, just yelling questions from the audience with, with a journalist, <laughs> like a journalist. And, uh, I'll be. I watched The Big Short again recently, so I'll be putting my hand up and, and trying to ask the tough questions, and then picking up the phone and walking out of the room. <laughs> There's and, a bubble, as one does. <laughs> Realestatemeetups.ca, real estate uh, merch. Uh, newsletter link in the bio. Um, first newsletter should be out by the time this episode is released. Or that, at least that this this week that you're listening to it. I think it comes out on, on Wednesday. So this may be this Soon. Tuesday. We're working Soon, on yeah. it. Yeah. Just check it out in the show notes. It's in there. And of course, Good the pun. course. Great pun. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a course. It's going to be starting. It was 19th is the first. Mm-hmm. Um, we're running out of spot. So if you want to join... Um, we have a great group of people. The forum's already quite active. Lots of good conversations going on. Really excited to teach people how to re- invest in real estate and capitalize on the bull or bear case, depending yeah. on how they pan out. Yeah. And, you know, again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. It's going to be the community aspect that is the biggest takeaway from from this, right? Everyone's here to learn different things. And we're going to do our absolute best to bring in experts, shed all of our expertise implement the things that we've been talking about on the podcast for so long uh, but we understand that everyone's in different situations so this one's going to be very individualized is that a word individualized personally tailored personally tailored i love it 
This one's going to be very personally tailored. Very bespoke. Oh, now we're getting sexy here. The re- I got the realtor words over that's here. That's it. That's it. Um, yeah, it's going to be nice and cozy and uh, all the other good realtor words bespoke. Gleaming hardwood. Gleaming hardwood. <laughs> Check it out, guys. It's in the links in the bio. Thanks so much for listening. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.